You're listening to Word on Health, the report with its finger on the pulse of popular medicine with Paul Pennington. Word on Health, for your very best of health. From eating like a caveman to drinking your own urine, there's a whole heap of so-called celebrity-fad diets doing the rounds it's claimed will help you become a leaner new you in 2021. Sean Porter is from the British Dietetic Association. Every year it's the same. We get a lot of calls in the BDA office asking for a comment and some of these diets are weird, some of them wonderful and unfortunately some of them downright dangerous. Sean, it would seem that we're constantly on the search for some sort of magic bullet when it comes down to losing weight to give us those bodies we often see on TV in glossy mags and adorning billboards up and down the UK. Is there such a thing as a quick fix to losing weight to help us become the body beautiful? Unfortunately, there isn't. It does take time, effort and patience and... You have to be realistic with your goals. And it's not about going on a diet because going on a diet suggests it's going to have a beginning and an end. What you want to do is make small changes over a month or two, which are going to be changes that you can then sustain, which will help you lose weight and more importantly, keep it off. What is the best approach we should take? Okay, the first thing you want to do is any eating pattern is one you could stick to. It shouldn't be a penance. Portion sizes is absolutely key. Having some foods more than others, so plenty of vegetables and smaller portions of things like lean meat or oily fish. No one food can give you everything you need. So have a variety of foods. The other thing is do try and be as physically active as you possibly can. And be physically active in your daily life. Often people think about it as putting your lycra on and getting on your bike or going down the gym, which is fantastic but it's about taking the stairs it is about getting off the bus one step early it is walking the children to school it is walking to the shops to buy the paper rather than taking the car all those things that would be part of your daily life will obviously help you burn calories but also look after your health this is word on health with paul pennington it's the pressure of blood in the arteries, and if it's too high over a period of time and not treated, then you'll be at an increased risk of heart attack, stroke, kidney disease, dementia, and some eye conditions. Also called hypertension, high blood pressure usually has no symptoms and is often termed the silent killer. The only way to find out what your blood pressure is is to have regular checks. Professor Graham McGregor is from the charity Blood Pressure UK people are getting much more aware of the importance of blood pressure, more important than their weight, because it's a bigger determinant of how long you live. Knowing what your blood pressure and knowing what you should do about it is the single most important thing you can do. 30 to 40% of the adult population in the UK have high blood pressure. Now that percentage increases as you get older, but even at 20 years old, 20% have high blood pressure, 50 years, about 50% do, and at 80, 80%. Of course, the good news is that high blood pressure can be treated and often prevented. Graham, talk us through the things that we can do to lower our risk of high blood pressure. It's better to start early in childhood because that's when your blood pressure starts going up. The major factor that puts our blood pressure is the huge amount of salt that we eat quite unnecessarily and we must try and do something about that. If you're able to make your own food from fresh ingredients and have more fresh fruit, vegetables and avoid the saturated fat, then you're on a really healthy diet and that will certainly bring your blood pressure down. Incidentally, will also bring your cholesterol down. Exercise does play a role in regulating blood pressure and cholesterol and increasing your exercise within your capabilities is beneficial. I know it's vitally important if you're diagnosed with high blood pressure and put on treatment that you continue taking the medication and following those lifestyle changes recommended by your doctor. It's not a thing you treat for a few weeks. Blood pressure's with you for life. Putting you in the picture. This is Word on Health with Paul Pennington.
Many of us are adopting a plant-based diet for the good of our health and to help save the planet. But, according to an influential group of doctors and nutritional professionals, this could mean a serious lack of vitamins, minerals and omega-3 fats in their diet, with, it's claimed, worrying consequences, including a shortening of life expectancy. Dr. Kerry Rushton is from the Health and Food Supplements Information Service. A plant-based diet doesn't have an official definition but what it means is actually getting more plant-based foods into your diet. So it's things like beans, pulses, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, nuts and seeds. So trying to get more of those into the diet. Now, people will take it to certain levels depending on their own wishes. So it could be that I'm a meat eater, but I say I need to eat more plant foods. I'm going to snack on nuts and seeds and have a breakfast cereal for breakfast instead of bacon and eggs. Or it might be somebody who actually goes all the way and says, actually, I want to be vegan, which means that 100% of their diet will be plant-based. So it's those extremes and everything between which actually is a plant-based diet. So Kerry, what research was undertaken and what specifically did it reveal? It was a combination of expert reports, which were analysed by our teams of doctors and nutritionists, plus a consumer survey looking at what people were doing with their diets. When we looked at vegans and vegetarians, more than half of these people had not done any research at all before switching to that kind of diet. They were using things like packaged meals and ready meals quite a lot, and even things like protein shakes. Then the consequence of that is that we're finding from research and evidence that people are suffering from low levels of key nutrients that are very important for health, things like calcium, vitamin D, iron, zinc. If you're not eating any oily fish, it's important to get omega-3 fatty acids from a marine supplement. So that could be algae-based supplement that gives you the same DHA and EPA omega-3s that you would get from fish. That's very important for things like brain health, heart and vascular health. It's also anti-inflammatory as well and has an impact on immune function. We've also got vitamin B12, which is only found in animal products or certain types of microbiological products, things like yeast, for example. And so vegans would be missing out on vitamin B12 completely unless they're having a supplement or fortified food. What impact did this have on those in the study? So we're asking people whether you think the diet that you're now following, this plant-based diet, is giving you every single thing that you need. And most people say, oh yes, yes it is. But then when you ask them later on in the survey, have you been seeing the doctor at all for any health concerns or have you had any blood tests for deficiencies? A lot of them have. And most of the blood tests were showing up either low levels of vitamin D or low levels of iron. So I think that people are not accepting that by cutting out major food groups in their diet, they could have a shortfall and they're not doing something about it. So my view is, is that you need to think, what am I going to be missing out on in terms of nutrients and where can I find alternative sources that fit with a plant-based diet? And even something like getting a good recipe book so you know what to cook and you're not relying on ready meals and packaged foods, which can often have a lot of added salt and sugar to them. So if we're on a plant-based diet, should we be taking a daily multivitamin as a matter of course? Yes, I think people should because it's the belt and braces approach. I mean, you might be a fantastic cook, cooking everything from scratch. You've got the recipe book, you know what you're doing, but... Sometimes we don't eat like that every single day and it is good to know that simply by taking a multivit, multimineral in the morning that you are getting all the nutrients that you need.
This is Word on Health with Paul Pennington. An outcome of the pandemic has been the rise in anger and confrontation, with a recent poll showing most of us have had arguments, fallen out with others, or felt angry because of COVID-19. Whilst anger can be a good thing, giving us a way to express negative feelings or motivators to find solutions to problems, the levels of unhealthy anger that prior to the COVID-19 outbreak saw Britain as the European champions for road rage and has been fueling the current rising tide of domestic abuse cases is extremely concerning. Mike Fisher is from the British Association of Anger Management. One of my major concerns with my client group is that they're experiencing high-level stress in a way that they've not experienced before. So stress fuels anger. We need to talk, we need to unpack, we need to offload. We need to reach out for as much support as we possibly can, whether it's other family members or whether it's professional bodies. Doing something that's going to alleviate their stress as well as actually help them sustain connections with the people they love and they care for. Mike, to help people manage stress and enable us to try and keep our cool this Yule, talk us through the rudimentary rules of anger management. You've got to stop, think, take a look at the big picture. Not just about thinking about what is going on for you as an individual, but it's also about what's going on for the other person. It's kind of fundamental to keep that in mind. It's okay to have a different opinion. As you already know, our world is so polarized. We have to move away from what I call oppositional thinking. I'm right, you're wrong, shut up and then go to war. And so we need to stop coming up against resistance. And what I mean by resistance, if somebody says something we don't like or we're not comfortable with, we don't have to react to it. We can actually simply agree to disagree. It's okay to have a different opinion. Very, very positive place to start. Evidence shows that as a society, we could all do with improving our active listening skills. And it's really important in anger management, isn't it? Probably absolutely fundamental to managing your anger is shut up, listen to the other person. You don't have to overspeak them. You don't have to scream and shout. Hear what they're saying. If you don't understand what they're saying, then get clarity or verify what they're saying so that you get really clear about what exactly is going on for them and, of course, needs to be reciprocated. You mentioned earlier about the importance of offloading. What about keeping a diary of feelings and thoughts? The problem with a lot of people that I work with is that they overthink and the other is they ruminate and that can drive ourselves crazy. To use an anger journal means that the anger doesn't need to rent space in your head. And in fact, I use this diary, and it's very simple, and it's very uncomplicated, and I'm really enjoying that. In fact, I find it really cathartic. And one thing we should all try to do is not take things personally. We're all inclined to be oversensitive. We need to train ourselves to stop taking things personally. Now, you know, it's very easy, Paul, for me to say that, but to actually do that is a very different conversation. And that's what we deliver on our anger management programs. There is a book called Don't Take Anything Personally. It's a fantastic book and it can transform lives. And that's what I would want to encourage. Word on Health, on air and online 52 weeks of the year with Paul Pennington. Word on Health, your personal prescription for your very best of health.